Okay, guys, we're in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy. We're going to look at lesson 8 today. We're going to talk about apostasy and truth. Apostasy and truth. Now, we don't, to be honest with you, when we talk about the church today, we don't spend a lot of time talking about apostasy in the church. You won't hear messages on the radio about apostasy. And I think that's really indicative of where we're at today. Years ago, you would hear messages about apostasy. But what's ended up happening is we've had a period of, I would say, almost overwhelming easy believism in the church. Now, what do I mean by easy believism? Well, we've had a period where evangelism is just simply getting people to pray a prayer. Now, if they pray that prayer, they're okay. They're going to heaven. Well, the problem is, is you talk to them, you ask them about who Jesus is, they have no clue. You ask them about why he died on the cross, they have no clue. Why are you going to heaven? I prayed a prayer. But And so we, we, we claim things. Like I remember years ago when I was at Liberty University, we used to do beach evangelism. That's a great way to spend spring break, isn't it? go down to Florida and do beach evangelism. And so we would go to a little, it was almost a campus crusade type thing where you go and ask them a bunch of questions. And if you could get through the questionnaire, you could maybe share the gospel with them. And so by the end of the week, you know, we, we, we looked and we said, we shared the seed with how many questionnaires we went through. Well, the problem was questionnaire itself didn't go through the gospel. It was a door to open up the conversation about the gospel later. And most people didn't respond to that, but we were celebrating and, 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 and advocating by numbers how many people we went through the survey with, like they got saved. But they didn't get saved. They went on with their life. They partied like they did normally would at spring break or whatever. So what's happened is, is now here we are, from that, that was 1987. Okay, so here we are 30 years later, and we've got this big thing happening in our church right now where kids 18 to 30 are leaving the church, and then you're finding out that they don't believe. But we always assume they believed. Why? Because they prayed a prayer. They were baptized. They did this. But the, the reality was is they didn't understand. See, what was, what's been missing from our evangelism is one key word, discipleship. Do you understand what I'm saying? In fact, isn't that what the Great Commission is? Go into all the world and what? Make disciples, teaching them. It's not go and get them saved, because who saves them? Jesus. And we just assume if somebody prays a prayer, they're okay. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. That's not the testimony of the scripture. If somebody's saved, their life's going to reflect it. That's the testimony of the Scripture. So when we look today at this passage, we looked at it in Thessalonians, he's going to talk about a falling away and about apostasy. Now, why do I believe that these folks were never saved? Because I believe in eternal security. Do you understand? Those who are truly saved can't lose their salvation. But people who make professions don't necessarily mean they're saved. Do you understand? Do you understand what I'm saying? Just because you say you're a Christian doesn't mean you are a Christian. It's by faith. And statistics are showing, and have for the last 30 years, 
that in our churches, more than 50% who say they're a Christian aren't a Christian because they're trusting in something else other than Jesus. And the latest statistic I saw that in American churches today, only 20%, this is just in the last week, only 20% believe in traditional Christian concepts of salvation concerning Jesus. Some will say there's other ways. Now, we've got to wake up to that reality. So that means we've got to re-examine what we're doing. Now, why am I saying all this? I'm wanting to introduce what he's going to talk about here concerning the issue of apostasy. What is apostasy? It is somebody who says they believe and they turn away. Do you understand? They turn away. So let's talk about it. All right? So look with me. First of all, we're going to look at verses 1 to 5. And look what Paul says to Timothy. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own consciences, conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Now, what's he talking about here, George? Well, let's let's take a look at it. First of all, Paul states that in the future, there will be some who leave the Christian faith. In the future, there will be some who leave the Christian faith. They'll say, "Uh -uh, I've had it. I don't want anything to do with this. I'm gone. Now, the reason why, again, let me just say this. The reason why we don't really pay attention to this passage is because we believe in eternal security. So we just assume that everybody who says they're saved, saves forever, and it's okay. Well, I believe in eternal security, but I believe that those who leave the faith, and there are those who leave the faith, were never saved. They just were part of us. Do you understand what I'm saying? In fact, remember, if you think about other passages that Paul talks about, even Peter, they'll make it very clear that false teachers are not from outside of the church. They'll come from where? Among us, from within the church. And they're going to hell, the Scripture says. How's that possible if they come from among us? They never really believed. They never really believed. But the reality is, is that in the future, some will leave the Christian faith. And I think that's going to happen more, more as, as we proceed in our culture. Why? Especially in our culture. When it becomes a little bit more difficult to be a Christian. Because there was a time when it was acceptable to go to church. Where if you wanted to advance in your job, you wanted to be a part of a certain church in town. Those days are gone, right? Nobody cares about whether or not you go to church anymore, right? Yeah, see, and that's going to become more and more where actually being a Christian is almost associated with extremism now. If you watch the news, people believe that. So he says there's going to be this great falling away. In fact, if you look, I gave you a reference there, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 where Paul says to the Thessalonians, let no one deceive you by any means, for the day will come 
The day will not come unless the falling away comes first. So this apostasy where people are leaving the faith has to come. It has to happen. Because after that, if you look at what Thessalonians says there, the man of sin is revealed. Who's that? The Antichrist. Okay? Now, let's go on. The reason for the apostasy. Why is it that people don't embrace Christianity? Well, they will commit apostasy because they've listened to demonic teaching. They'll commit apostasy because they'll listen to demonic teaching. All right, so look, if you go with me, I want you to go with me over to 2 Corinthians. Because here are these folks, they're in our churches, and they don't believe. How is that possible? Well, I want you to listen to what Paul says um, in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. Look at verse 3 and 4. He's answering the question where somebody says that our gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ for salvation, is hidden so that people don't understand it. And he says, listen to this, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to who, those who are perishing. And here's what he says about those who are perishing. Their minds, the God of this age, has blinded who do not believe. Now, how is it that they're not able to see it? Well, they've embraced, he's telling us here in this passage in Timothy, they've embraced lies, doctrines of hell. Now, when I say that, I'm, you're probably saying to yourself, what are you talking about? What is a doctrine of hell? Is that like something I saw on TV? You know, no, it has nothing to do with TV. What he's saying here, a doctrine of hell that he's talking about here, the doctrine of demons, is any kind of belief that is contrary to the gospel. Now, what's the gospel, folks? That Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, paid the penalty in full for your sin, and that that is available to you if you put your faith in his finished work. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the gospel. Does it have anything to do with you? No, according to the gospel, salvation has nothing to do with you. Salvation has to do with who? Jesus and what he did on the cross. That's the gospel. But if you go to church now, you have so many other things that are competing, and we'll talk about those in a minute, any kind of other thing that would add something in there about your acceptance with God is, according to Paul, a doctrine of demons, a doctrine of hell. Okay? So they're deceived by all these other things. Okay? So they, they will commit apostasy because they've listened to demonic teaching. Now, they will commit apostasy because they have followed false teachers. So let me just stop for a moment. We've been talking the last few weeks about people who are on TV, okay? Now, there are good people on TV, all right? There are good people on TV. But just because they're on TV and they just because they say they're Christian and they are talking about the topic that you like doesn't mean they're okay. There are a lot of them that are not okay. There is a false gospel that's being propagated on TV today. It's called health and wealth prosperity. What is that? That is a doctrine of demons. That's where you are told that if you have enough faith, God's going to make you healthy and wealthy. 
But if you're sick today, and some of you are wrestling with this sickness that's going around here today, if you're sick today, it's you're sick because you don't have enough faith. That's the reason why you're sick. Some of you wish you had a little bit more money in your bank account this this month because it's Christmas and you want to buy some things, and you've got bills coming up, and the heating bill is a little bit higher than normal. The reason why you're struggling is because you don't have enough faith. That's what they tell you on TV. That's a doctrine of a demon. And you'd be surprised how many people are influenced by that. A lot. See, people are going to commit apostasy because they don't have the wisdom to study the Scripture themselves and understand the truth, and they will listen to false teachers on the TV and on the radio. And let me just go ahead and tell you, the false teachers just don't all belong to one denomination. They're in every denomination. And there are Baptist false teachers just as much as there are charismatic and Pentecostal false teachers. Do you understand? The fact of the matter is, they're out there deceiving you. Deceiving you. And so they'll commit apostasy because they followed false teachers. In fact, he calls them hypocritical liars. Now, notice now, I gave you a passage there, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 to 4. And it's going to, in this passage, he's not talking about the false teachers as much as the people who listen to them. Look at what he says. For the time will come when they will no longer, will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap to themselves teachers and they will turn away from the truth and turn aside to fables. Here's what's going on. He's saying the issue isn't a false teachers. It's talking about the people who are sitting, listening Sunday after Sunday. They want people who tell them what they want to hear who itch, who who give them some kind of message to scratch an itch. So I'm going to be honest with you, it's happening across America right now. Lots of pulpits getting up, and it's a lot of moralistic, therapeutic deism. What do I mean by that? A lot of pop psychology. How to have a happy family. How to have a happy marriage. How to overcome your weight problem. How to overcome this. How to overcome that. And that's all wonderful. But you keep getting that, and so people are like, I'm not going to that church because they just preach the Bible there. People say that. Hey, I just I knew a guy who listened to him, and he used to go to one of these big conferences, and he was in the back in the green room. That's the room where all the dignitaries are who speak. And he's talking to another speaker, and the speaker looks at him and says, oh, you're the Bible guy. These are preachers who are going to be preaching from God's Word, and one describes the other as the Bible guy. Well, what do you preach from? See, this is where we're at today. This is why there's going to be a falling away, because people aren't being taught the Word of God. But I'm, you know what I've noticed, though? People are hungry for the Word of God. They do want to know the Word of God. So they'll commit apostasy because they follow false teachers. Now, these false teachers will forbid those who follow them to marry. Now, in Paul's day, these false teachers were a little extreme. They would tell you not to marry. Or they would tell you who to marry. Oh, we live in America. That doesn't happen. No. Hey, I remember when I got saved at the University of South Carolina, and I was a part of a campus Christian group. There was another campus Christian group and it was very prevalent among secular campuses 
They've kind of fallen off the face of the earth, thankfully. But in this campus Christian group that was there, you couldn't date somebody unless the elders of the church had a dream that validated that you could date that girl. And if they had that dream, then you could date them. Isn't that crazy? But they were, yeah, you sit there and say, who would go there? A lot of young people did. They were being deceived. This is what I'm talking about. Doctrines of demons, right? Things other than the gospel. Here's the other one. These false teachers will forbid those who follow them to eat certain foods. Yeah, that's what's happening in Paul's day, especially among those Jewish teachers. You only can eat, you know, he's telling the Gentiles, you can only eat kosher. You say, hey, George, you know, it's a good thing we don't have those problems today. Really? Do you think we got issue? Not Maybe it's not the marriage issue and maybe it's not the food issue, but do you think we've got people telling you what you can and cannot do as a believer? Telling you what kind of Bible to bring, telling you how to dress. There's and and then really here's what they do: they have this atmosphere of oppression that says you haven't arrived yet, and then no matter what you try to do, you never arrive. Have you never noticed that you never get on the same level with the people who are in charge? No matter what you do, they always find something wrong with your character. Isn't that oppressive? That's what these false teachers do. Listen, you say, what does that have to do with the gospel? It has everything to do with the gospel because the gospel says your acceptance with Jesus is not based upon who? You. It's not based upon what you've done. It's based upon what who's done? Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? Your acceptance with Jesus is based upon Jesus, not you. And anything else, subtle, and it's really subtle, isn't it? Subtle oppression robs you of your understanding of the gospel. So people will leave. I can see why people would turn away from the faith. I can't, I may, stop for a moment. How many of you know somebody that used to go to church, doesn't go to church anymore because they said, I can't live what they're asking me to live? Don't we all? What do you mean you can't live what they're asking you to live? You've been robbed of the what? Gospel. Did you understand what I'm saying? That's what these false teachers are doing. These false teachers will forbid those who follow them to eat certain foods. Let's go on. Paul stresses that all food, just to make the point here, he wants to talk to these folks who say, I can't eat certain food. He says, look, Paul stresses that all food is provided by God and blessed. Paul says to those guys who tell you you can't eat that, God blesses everything. He allows you to eat anything. He, you can eat your scrapple. Do you know what I'm saying? You can, I mean, I wouldn't eat it, but you could. Did you understand what I'm saying? It's okay. Do you know what I'm saying? As long as, and because he gives this, look what he says here. In order to be faithful teachers, okay, let's go on here. Look with me at verse 6 through 16, and I'll go through the point. Look at verse 6. 
If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine, which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having the promise of life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These these things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to believers in word and in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to the reading, to the exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy and the laying on of hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Okay, so let's take a look here. First of all, he says to Timothy, study the scripture for yourself. In order to be a faithful teacher of others, Timothy must study the scriptures for himself. I'm going to tell you right now. If you've been around me long enough, I don't care what version of the Bible you use, just so long as you read it. Now, there are certain versions that I would say don't read it. So don't read a New World Translation, the Jehovah Witness Bible. That's garbage. Throw that one out. But you're not going to. But if you go to Ollie's, chances are you'll see an NIV there, a New King James. Pick up one of those. I'm okay with that. Just read it. Do you understand? Well, I got my Bible my grandma gave me. I know it's a King James but most of the young people can't read that now. Some of the old people can't read it. Break my dictionary out while I read it. Now, but seriously, get a Bible you can read. The point is, get a Bible you can read and study it for yourself. Go back over it. Get a Bible reading plan in the back. We got Bibles here. You want a study Bible? We'll get you a study Bible. Do you understand what I'm saying? Why? Because we know that if you know the Word of God yourself, you're going to be a whole lot better off. And one day you'll sit there and you'll say, I don't know that I agree with George. That's not in the Bible. I'd rather hear that than anything. Do you understand what I'm saying? In order to be a faithful teacher of others, you need to study the Scripture for yourself. I would rather hear you say, the Bible says this, than George says it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because it really doesn't matter what George says. It matters what God says in his word. Okay, let's go on. Here's the other one. Paul tells Timothy to reject false teaching that he calls profane and old wives' tales. Here, what's he talking about, profane and old wives' tales? Well, in his, his, what he's referring to is, is these Old Testament things that were not in the Old Testament, were maybe extra biblical teachings, 
that they were focused on, new moons, all of this stuff. And you say, well, we don't have that issue today. Oh, yeah, we do. We pay attention to a lot of Jewish stuff that doesn't have anything to do with the Bible. Like what? I've told you before. Blood moons. Remember when the blood moon thing was going on? John Hagee was really pushing that. You'd be surprised how many people were so distracted and focused about the blood moon thing. I mean, they devoted months talking about the blood moon thing. The blood moons have come and gone. Let's move on to the next one. Did you know Jesus was supposed to come back in September? By the way, he didn't, did he? Okay, because you're here. Jesus was supposed to come back in September because of a wives' tale and something about the alignment of the planets and this, that, or another. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, is that in the Bible? No. Don't pay attention to that stuff. Pay attention to your Bible. Do you understand what I'm saying? Paul tells them to reject false teaching that he calls profane and old wives' tales. Rather, here's what he's saying. Timothy is to pursue the discipline of life and godliness. You really want to know what your focus needs to be? Spiritual disciplines. What? Here's one we all struggle with. It's not just reading the Bible. First of all, we struggle reading the Bible, right? What's the next thing we struggle with? You said it, Mike. Prayer. Focus on praying. Talking to the Lord. Reading His Word. What's another one? Being quiet. How many of you can go into a room and it'd be silent and not be bothered that you have to turn the TV on or the radio on to have noise. That's something to think about, isn't it? Because the problem is is sometimes God in the quietness maybe wants to speak to you in your heart. But we want to drown everything out. Silence is a discipline. Okay? So he's saying here, Timothy, rather, is to pursue the discipline of a life in godliness. Don't get focused on all this other wacky stuff, okay? He gives an analogy here. He says, while physical training is beneficial, pursuing godliness is profitable for all things. He's saying, yeah, exercise, that's wonderful, great. But even more wonderful than that is what? Your spiritual life. Doing what you have to do for your spiritual life. Now, He states that pursuing godliness is a faithful saying and should be accepted by all. The biggest thing that you need to do is pursue that relationship with Jesus Christ. Spend time with him in his word and talking to him and listening. That's a worthy saying is what he's saying here. It should be accepted by all. The hope in the living God is why Paul ministers and is persecuted. That's what he's saying here. The reason why he does what he does, the reason why he goes through what he goes through, is because of the hope that he has in Jesus. Now, what does that have to do with the issue of godliness and pursuing that? Well, let me just stop for a moment. How many of you had a really good, great week this week? No problems. You have any problems this week? No arguments with anybody. No disagreements. No bills showing up. No unexpected issues. Anybody have a week like that? Okay, we're all normal here. Doesn't that suck the life out of you? I mean, it's going to be Christmas just eight days from now. Right? 
Life hurts. What keeps you going on? Your hope in Christ. The hope in a living God. That's why he kept going on ministering. That's why he kept on even in spite of persecution. That's his example. He tells them that that's the hope. Now here's the task. Paul tells Timothy that he is to command and teach these things to the church. So the very same things Paul's telling him, he's saying, Timothy, you need to teach that to the church. Isn't that what I'm doing right now? Encouraging you what? Hold on to your hope. Focus. It's great to focus on physical, but focus on your spiritual discipline and your well-being. Okay? Now, let's go on. In the meantime, here's the thing. He's going to give his example. Timothy is not to allow anyone to despise his youth and to be an spiritual example to others. He's not to allow anyone to despise his youth and to be an spiritual example to others. Now, I, I remember when I went to Liberty University, I remember uh, the guy that I worked for in the youth ministry area. This was his favorite topic that he would teach young people about. Let no one despise your youth. It was a great message for teenagers. Here's the problem. Timothy's 40 years old here. Why was he considered a youth? Probably he wasn't married. You weren't considered old or mature till you married. Did you understand what I'm saying? <clears throat> In fact, I'll be honest with you, Lori and I found that out when we first got married, okay? We first got married, I'll tell this story. When we first got married, we moved back to her home area, and we can't just hang out with single people now because we're married. So we want to hang out with married people. So we got together with some married folks, and we still didn't feel like we fit in with them. Why? Because those married folks had kids. We didn't. And they're at a different level, right? Now, some of you, when you have kids, and they're little ones, you hang out with ones who have teenagers, and the ones who have teenagers look like, you don't know what's coming. It's coming. They're on a different level, right? And and what I found is it keeps getting worse. What do you mean? Now you've got teenagers. Well, you don't have them in college yet. Okay, well, now they're in college. You don't have grandbabies. Do you know what I'm saying? The level of maturity changes. You know what I'm saying? So he's saying to Timothy, you say, that's that's funny, George. No, this is what I'm talking about. He's saying to Timothy, a 40-year-old, let no one despise your youth, your, your immaturity. Let no one despise your immaturity. You just be faithful and do what you're supposed to be doing. That's the issue here. Be an example, a spiritual example to others. He goes on, in the meantime, here's what Timothy's teaching needs to be. Timothy is to give attention to the reading to reading the scripture, teaching doctrine, and encouragement. Look, that's what I'm supposed to do, folks. That's what a pastor is supposed to do. Stay reading the word, teaching, and what? Encouragement. You understand what I'm saying? Encouraging who? You. Encouraging you. He talks about his gifting. Timothy was not to neglect the gift that was given to him at his ordination. I gave you an explanation there about the laying on of hands. So he was not to neglect the gift that was given to him at his ordination. He's saying to Timothy, Timothy was not to neglect the gift that was given to him at his ordination. 
Let's go on. A couple more points. His progress. Timothy was to ponder and commit himself to these things so that his progress would be evident to all. He's saying, look, I want you to focus on spiritual growth. I want you to focus on teaching others. I want you to focus on encouraging others. I want you to focus on so that you mature. See, here's the thing. The reason why some of us aren't maturing in our spiritual lives is because we're focused on the wrong things. We're focused on the hurts that have been done to us. We're focused on the slights. We're focused on our failures. But God wants us to focus on what? Growing on our relationship with him and focusing on others. Isn't that what we tell people who go through depression? When you're going through depression, who are you thinking about? Yourself. What do they tell people who go through depression that they need to do? Start getting out there, serving other people, interacting with them. Get the focus off of who? Yourself. That's what he's saying here to Timothy. Supposed to ponder and commit these things so that he was, progress would be evident at all. Here's the thing. Timothy was is to pay attention to his life and his doctrine for himself and others. Pay attention to yourself. One of the biggest things for me as a pastor is how am I doing spiritually? Am I where I should be? Why? Because if I'm not where I should be, do you think that affects you? Yeah, you better believe it does. Because it affects my teaching and it affects all other things. Pay attention to myself. All right. 